This is the One Step Better Podcast. Helping small businesses make wins each and every week. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the One Step Better Podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, and with me this week, we got Greg Henderson back in the studio. Welcome, Greg. Thank you. Uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, some recruiting best practices, things that we help our clients with as we're trying to figure out how can we bring on qualified candidates to become employees that are well-developed over time. Uh, and so it's a perfect opportunity to bring Greg back and talk to him a little bit about some of the things uh, that he's doing in our HR services, people services, uh, because really this is a big, uh, a big component of the questions that we're dealing with the advice that we're giving, the things that we're digging into as part of our people services. Uh, but before we jump too far into the weeds, Greg, we always start with something a little bit more lighthearted. And so this week's question is, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? I can't, I don't know the term. It's like when you can just think of a place. Teleport? Teleport. Yeah, teleportation. That would be my superpower. Why? Um, I, maybe because of high gas prices right now. I'm, I'm not sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. The The idea that you can have the extra, you know, 15 minutes to do whatever you need to and not be late. Right? So even, it could have been 15 minutes of extra sleep. All of a sudden, boom, you're dressed at work, ready to go. Right? You could just be having to stay 15 minutes extra at that event, but you knew that you had to be at another event. But you could because there's no travel time, and I can make it there on time. Boom. I appreciate that your first thought about using your teleportation powers is coming to work. That's right. <laughs> I think that's a very limited use of those powers. <laughs> I, like When you said that, I was thinking, like, yeah, I could save myself that eight-hour drive down to the Florida Panhandle while I'm sitting Anything. on the beach. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a good one. I've always wanted to be able to fly. I think it'd be fun to fly. Um, it, it just to be able to like, I mean, teleportation for some of those same reasons, uh, but just to get up in the air and cruise around. And, you don't think you would get motion sickness or nauseous about I, going? It's like doing all those little. I think if you have the superpower to fly, then you also have the superpower not to get sick while yeah, you're flying. <laughs> I feel like those go together. Um, they may not, but I think they go together. Um, it would be fun to be invisible, um, although I can't think of a really good reason why it would be yeah. fun to be invisible. Um, it feels sketchy to be invisible. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? Even yeah. I say that out loud, it's like, ah, that that's that could be. I, I think about it from the standpoint of my wife is super, super jumpy. Um, and so, like, she's in the kitchen cooking or doing the dishes or whatever, and I just walk in the door and she's not expecting me. She like jumps out of her skin, and so to like creep up on her and really scare would be a lot of fun. Um, she probably would disagree, but uh, I think she secretly likes it when I scare. Her, so we're gonna go with my answer. <laughs> the reality is, uh, you know, having a superpower would be a really good skill to have. Um, if if I am gonna do a job that requires a lot of uh, manual labor and my superpower is super strength, I'm probably gonna have a one-up on the other candidates that are applying for that job. Uh, and so the reality that we face though is not all of our candidates that are applying for our jobs have superpowers. Uh, it really starts to break down into kind of what's a bare minimum that I need to actually get a job done. In, in some instances, uh, in others it may be what is the most qualified candidate I could find 
uh, and there's you know probably a lot in between. Um, but one of the things that we did here internally at, at Works uh, back in probably four years ago now is we really kind of restructured some of our hiring practices around trying to find the ideal candidate that's going to take on whatever job it is that we're, we're posting. Uh, and since that time frame, we've been able to share some of these best practices to a lot of different companies and a variety of industries uh, that are that did struggle with some of the same things, whether it's inconsistency in candidates or bad job descriptions, job ads, poor interviewing practices, bad questions that you're asking. We, there's a lot of things that a lot of employers struggle with. Uh, and so what I want to talk about today is a little bit about some of the things that we have done over those past four years to really help our hiring practices get better. Um, and just to give some a little bit of stats here to kind of validate what we're talking about, is since that time that we did this, we've brought on a, a lot of people. Uh, we've doubled in size just about in the past four years. And our turnover has dropped by about 50 points, uh, which is really good. And even probably the most exciting part about it for that of that for me has been over the past four years, we've also won Best Places to Work Awards um, here in the Memphis area. And so, you know, there's nothing magical about the things that we're going to talk about today, but I would say that things that we're going to talk about today have proven results for us internally that have uh, really paid off. And so, Greg, uh, I know that in your world, you get a lot of questions around hiring, bringing on new employees. What does that look like? What are, where do you like to start? whenever you're jumping into the hiring process that employers are going through. Yes, we actually did this this morning with a client. Um, so we're, you know, in the phase of their of their process where we're actually at that, hey, let's build a hiring scorecard and what does that look like? In order to build your hiring scorecard, you got to go back to the basics, kind of what, what you talked about. Hey, we did this four years ago. What did we change? We changed the idea of we first had to identify the ideal client in our mind and what's and when when you know when you do that that's a lot of some homework some due diligence that you have to put in ideal client for me is different than than our you know competitor down the street what we determined was your values for your core values of the company need to be kind of resonated or aligned with our ideal candidate who's coming in to the to to interview and I took that and kind of ran with it. And so that's the stuff that we do for all of our clients is the idea is you have to identify your core values first. And those core values align with, hey, this is what I'm going to hire for. And so you build a scorecard based on those core values. And so when we're doing that or when we did do that, it's for us, it started with Matt and I. We went to uh, an event that Entree Leadership put on, a Ramsey event. Uh, in Nashville, that was a, a one-day workshop, and the, the, really that entire day was centered around what, it, what you know. It was a little bit about mission, but it was really about values and, and what are the things that your organization really wants to be known for and, and stand for. What are the non-negotiables? That type of stuff. And out of that event, and really the weeks to come, we identified five core values that we hold dear uh, here at Patrick Accounting and Works, um, and those became the table stakes it's the gate the entry point for if you don't resonate with those values you don't have a job here right. and can't get a job here um, we then tied that a little bit together with um, the book ideal team player by patrick lencioni where he talks about the hungry humble and smart not uh, iq smart but eq smart 
um, that he believes that every good employee is going to you know, display some characteristics in. And so from a hiring standpoint, that makes up our scorecard is we're looking for hungry, humble, smart people that also fit the core values of what we're trying to, to, to go for. Now, one of the one of the first changes that we made from an actual practical switch is prior to 2018, our interviewing process was simply we have a candidate, we schedule them to come in, let's say today at three o'clock and it's two o'clock and we're looking around saying, hey, is anybody going to be free in the next hour to interview this person? Mm. So there was no consistency around who was actually not necessarily managing the hiring process, but being involved in the hiring process. Uh, and so the ability to actually kind of straighten that out a little bit, and we have very clear-cut processes now where the same people are e- are in each of those stages has really helped us keep um, a little bit of bias under control. Uh, but it also, the thing that I like about it is it removed the 15 seconds after that candidate walked out of the office, the look around to say, hey, did you like them or did you not like them? And then based on that, re- you know, that response, we're going to talk about next steps um, to more of an objective this is what we did like about them. This is how we would even score them. Talk a little bit about your scorecard and, and what that looks like. Yeah, so I love the scorecard. It, I tell people all the time it quantifies your gut, right? We all have a gut and we all have that intuition, right? Hiring and interviewing, the whole process is nothing but skills and intuition. And so you have to practice at it. You have to get good at it. You're not gonna get. You're not gonna be good off the off the jump. So training is huge piece, right? So if you're have a scorecard, make sure you have some training with that. The reason why you do that is there's some the, the scorecard yes it's it's questions for your for your hiring panel to determine objectively does this person have the value yes or no but it's also a conversational starter and so at the end of the day if you want to continue that conversation that that goes a long way with hey that that person is actually might align with the culture and the fit because i'm looking at character and fit more than likability and gut right so as you've done some of these scorecards for the clients that you're working with, what are some of the, is there any common themes that you're finding that everybody wants on that scorecard? What are some of the fun things that uh, you're seeing people put down? Yeah. So this morning, um, one of the core values of this company is ready, willing, and able, right? So I need you to show up and be personable and, and actually like where you are and like the people around you. And so one of the questions that they came up with of their hiring values were, uh, instead of instead of ready, willing, and able on the scorecard, we wrote um, positive energy, right? So that was a big thing. And so one of the questions that came up with was, tell me a time that's, you know, how do you make people smile when you first get to know them? And so that was a big deal for them to figure out, okay, one, can you smile? <laughs> do you like smiling, right? Because if you sit in the interview and you don't smile, that's not going to go really well with this particular company because – you're out in front of people, you're, you've got to be engaging, you've got to be personable, you, you have to have a personality. And so they, they kind of judge that off that interview of if you're sitting there kind of not really engaged, well, you don't really have a good positive energy that they're looking for. And so that was one of the questions that they came up with. So your scorecard is really identifying what are the values that I'm looking for? And then is on the scorecard, are you going that extra step to these are the kind of some of the I'll say behavioral based type questions that are probing at does this candidate actually have this value? Yeah. So I teach a two step process. Show me or tell me is the first step. And then 
what I call icebreakers and follow-up. So the icebreakers is on the script, right? Ask this question. But if the question is, if it's answered in a way that you need more information or that's intriguing, let me ask you about that, you need to follow up and have some follow-up questions with that because sometimes the follow-up question might be more, you know, more crucial to you finding out who that person is really than that first icebreaker question. So because we all wear a mask when we meet new people. Not a literal mask. Not a literal mask, right? But that icebreaker question is trying to break that mask to try to get to know that person in that finite amount of time that we only have the best of our ability. So if you ask me a question, hey, how did you prepare for this interview? And I tell you, you know, I, I don't really like to prepare. I like to go in fresh. And if I just move to my next question on my script, I miss a golden opportunity to dig into your hunger because if you're not hungry, I don't need you here. And so if I just kind of, you know, blew through that and, and kept going, but we didn't, right? If you remember, we had that same situation come yeah. up. And it was like, oh, okay, well, how would you feel if I didn't prepare for this interview? Uh, well, I wouldn't think you cared. Exactly. Yeah. So is the, is the goal of that scorecard is once you're done, the, the interviewer is going to – they're actually rating that candidate on some type of points-based system. Yeah. And is your goal with that to have, let's say, if it, you know – if you score a 50 or above, then you're going to get hired or whatever. Or, or is it just informing this is kind of the overall feel that the interviewer had of that particular candidate? What do you do with the scorecard? So both. You can do both. We recommend that it's, it's an objective process. And so it's, if it's an objective process, we need to have an objective score that you have to make above that or above. Right? So this morning they had five categories, five five questions that they were, you know, re- reviewing and grading on one to five. And they determined that after five assessments, one to five, if you didn't score an 18 or above, you were a pass, period, in a story. So it didn't matter if you have four fives and then one, two. Nope. You had to have at least a three or higher, only a one, right? So one, three, Nothing lower than a three, and you can, you can only have one three in order to make that 18. Gotcha. So just so, – because the thing I always run into with the um, – let's say that you have five questions on a one to ten scale, so total possible 50 points just right. to make up something. Um, I can have a, a one, a one, a ten, a ten, a ten, and I got a 32, when the reality is when we're talking about values – we can't afford to hire anybody who has a one on any of our values. Correct. So your way of kind of moving around that is, well, you, if we have a minimum score. Let's say it's 30, whatever it is. But there's also the – it's a, it's a minimum right. of 30, yeah, yeah. but you can't have less than a seven on any one or Correct. something like that, right? Yeah. Gotcha. What do you do or how do you recommend that employers walk through having multiple rounds of interviews – multiple people involved in each round of interview what you know what are you advising on that it's operationally minded right so if you're a small business and you're you're hiring 12 14 people a year um i think this the smaller number of interviews you go through is is best until you get to a certain level what i would call the executive level um someone what what we kind of describe as your lifeboat right The, the the team that you would pick up and start a new 
you know, organization on Mars somewhere, right? Those lifeboat people, that's totally different than, than your normal hiring. Your normal hiring, small business, again, 15 to 20 people that you're maybe hiring during the year, I would say at most two. You know, one interview with that phone interview, kind of making sure we don't let crazy come in the door, and then have a interview time on that second time, and then be ready to onboard that person that day. Onboard that person that day? Yeah. Why? Well, well because it's such an employee-friendly job market right now. Now, that may change, but right now it's still employee-friendly. And so I need them to show that if they show up for me, which is rare, right, if you ask anybody – Getting people to show up for the interview is, is huge because they just don't. And so if you have somebody who's showing up for the interview, I need to, to let them know, hey, listen, there's a place for you right now. I'm hiring because I need you on staff in, you know, next week. This episode of One Step Better is brought to you by Works, a team of payroll and HR experts who help businesses with outsourced HR, payroll, and human capital management solutions. Works is software and service, combining awesome people with the best technology to help you and your team get one step better every day. Check out our website, works.com, to explore more employer resources. Do you think that changes by industry? Like, you know, there's some, let's say I have uh, maybe a, a lower income earner that's more in a high turnover industry. Um, and there's the level, like we talk about this a lot with restaurant workers. I need somebody that's going to get back in the kitchen and cook, and I need them tonight. That interviewing process looks very different than maybe you know um, a white collar service type environment. It may not even be a, a you know senior level leader, but maybe you know in our world where we hire accountants all the time. Well, that accountant person isn't necessarily going to need to be onboarded right now, right. whereas my cook is going to need to be onboarded right now. And so, how do you help um, a business understand? Because there's always the it's the game of I need to hire the right person on one end of the spectrum and I need to hire a person on the other end of the spectrum. And how do you help people make wise choices within that spectrum? It's, it's shifting your mindset. It, you come from a mindset that says, hey, I have to have a body. Is that person breathing? Great. Put them on the line. You have to go from that mindset to, I do not hire average. If you do not hire average, then we (laughs) align with that and we can help you get one step better. But if you're still stuck in the mindset of, hey, I'm just going to hire this body for this shift and if they don't show up tomorrow, I don't care. We don't really align that well because of how we view hiring and and getting the right person in in the right job. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I mean, I ask people all the time, is this one person that you don't hire going to you know, make you close your doors tomorrow? Well, that's a totally different conversation. Yeah. But if you're telling me that you – because you, if it, you know, you're a line cook. If you don't hire a line cook today, you're going to close your business tomorrow? No, nah, that's probably not right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's difficult, though, because in, in some of those industries that there is a, a, a mindset of – it doesn't matter what the person can do or who they are. I need somebody to put the fries into the oil and take the oil, uh, fries out of the oil. Yeah. And the the shift, the hard part is, is to make that that shift in your mind because 
it does allow you greater focus on the things that matter, um, bigger picture wise, whenever you don't have 18 interviews a day that only one of the 18 people show up to. And now your entire day is off track because you you start to lose hope a little bit and you start to get a little bit lazy in your, your own schedule because you know, they're not going to show up anyway. And then when they do show up, it's well, you look unprepared sometimes. There's, there's a whole other set of dominoes that start to fall whenever you have that, that mind space of, I'm just looking for a person. Yeah. Cause that person isn't going to come, come back tomorrow and you're going to be looking for another person and another person, another person. So the, the approach that we try to, you know, to, to get people to understand is there's 10% of your populations that if you talk to any, any business owner, any manager, they're going to tell you they spend 90% of their time on that 10% of the population, you know, trying to motivate them to get the work done, try to, you know, keep them accountable. Our approach is if you hire off your core values, those 10% kind of just don't walk in the door because you didn't hire them. Yeah. Or to the, I mean, those the people that do make it through, whether you're in that ten percent or not, the thing that I love about having core values and and, and how we've uh, done that here at Works is it gives clarity on action when there is no directives given. Right. Like I don't have to train my team on every single possible scenario they will ever interact with while they're employed here. Instead, I'm going to give them in our world five principles that everything is based on, and Whenever they encounter a situation, they never heard Mike or whoever talk about X, Y, Z. They they have heard us talk about our values, and so I know that I need to you know put my team first. I know that I need to own this problem. I know that I need to push back on either the our, the clients that we're working with or the team that we have internally mm-hmm. about you know challenging what what's being asked and, and how we're handling. Like, and, and you know all of our values start to really roll out. With I'm not entirely sure what to do here. But I, I at least know how I should do here, yeah. uh, and that's that's from a leader, from my my position as a leader, that is super comforting to know, because there is no way in the world, especially in a complex world that that you know we operate in, there's no way I could train the team on every single possible thing that pops up. Yeah, there's just too many. And so I love that you 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 mentioned that because yes, this this you know HR scorecard that's all HR. If you take off your HR hat and put on your operations hat exactly what you're saying what you've done is once you have your core values and they're solidified and then your team makes the the decisions during their day-to-day activity through the framework of their values then what you have done is you now have consistent outcomes yeah and so operationally that's huge i don't have to micromanage my team i can empower them to make the right decisions based on our core values and I know that I know when they get to a fork in the road, I know what direction they're going to choose. Yeah. And discipline becomes easier, too, right. because I'm not going to discipline because they made the wrong decision necessarily. I'm going to discipline them based on they made a decision that was against our core values. They didn't remember the right decision, not that they made the wrong decision. Right. And, and that's the part that it's it's super simplifying uh, because it just like all the things we just said. There is consistency in expectations. There's consistency in outcomes without anybody having to talk about it. Um, And then on that next step is when you rehire your staff who didn't go through your new hiring scorecard, it really sticks out like a sore thumb. You're like, holy cow, yes, he needs to go or she doesn't align with what we're doing. Yes, of course they have to go. And so 
I'm, I tell people all the time, you know, op, you know, values are the foundations for all operations. And what you're, what you're really talking about there is one of the things that we do is as we develop those values and start to get them on a sheet of paper and everybody's agreed to them, we put you through a, a rehire assessment test, whatever you want to call it, where it is, you know, based on your values, rate every person that's currently in your door and see where they stand. What I find with doing that, in, in my experience with working with other companies that have done the same, is that it doesn't provide clarity on their people. It provides confirmation of what they already knew about their people. Because it's not like they're going through that that assessment for the first time and like, oh man, you know what? Anna really does suck. Right. You know, it's like, oh, you know, now I actually have some verbiage to know exactly why I think Anna sucks. Right. And that's a very different um, realization for most people because before it may have been, man, I get frustrated when Anna does X, Y, Z, or I get frustrated when she doesn't do X, Y, Z, or, you know, whatever it is. And there's no real common language around that frustration until you're putting it through the lens of your core values. Yep. Because at that point, it's, you know what, you know, to use an example of our core values, one of those is empathy for others. And so if Anna is always responding negatively to teammates or, or clients, I may be frustrated and say, you know what, Anna, you just don't get it. Or Anna, you're just so harsh or whatever. But that's very different than, oh, wait, I super, super value empathetic communication. And you don't have that. Because the reality is, I mean, in a small business setting, like it or not, good or bad, it is what it is. The leader sets the tone. And on a whim, just because they want to, they can change directions. And that means changing people that are in seats. And so this, these core values really provide an umbrella, is essentially what we call it, yep. that keeps everybody safe, but it also provides clarity to the leader on what safety looks like. And so now I don't have to go say, Anna, I'm frustrated because you're mean with, to everybody else, but say, hey, you know what, Anna, I really value empathy, and I see that you're lacking in that. How can I help you? Right. Or even, I don't think you, you have it, and we're going to do something different. Uh, and, and so it provides language that most people already know about their employees, but it does give some commonality around it, which is helpful. Yeah. So to, to back up on that scorecard, it does the same thing for your hiring practice as well. So it makes a consistent, repeatable process, but it also saves you from um, maybe an EEOC complaint saying, hey, you didn't hire me because I was in name a protected class. It's like, no, I didn't hire you because you were awful <laughs> according to my scorecard, right? Yeah. So it kind of saves you all that time and energy with the idea that you, if you didn't have a scorecard, it's like, yeah, I don't know why I didn't really hire you. You just didn't fit. <laughs> I don't remember that was 100 people ago. Right. Or, yeah, right. Yeah. That's that's interesting. The I, I think that the whole hiring and, and trying to objectify that process and make it consistent has made a remarkable impact on our organization as a whole. Um, and like I said earlier, it, you can see that some, through some of the results that we've been able to have over the past few years. But it's also something that is living and breathing. Uh, you know, we probably every year, uh, at least every year, have a debate over, hey, I think this might be another core value that we've just not discovered yet. Or uh, you know what, this is, there's a little nuance here that I'm not entirely sure where we use the right language around. And, you know, we, we've gone through this EOS process, uh, which has really helped me understand the, uh, the, the need for the story behind the core value. Because it's one thing to say one of our core values is challenge it. So you, you can go back to episode 
three or something of this podcast right. and hear all of our core values. But, um, you know, it's one thing to say, challenge it. But it's very much a different thing to say this is a story around what challenge it means, how it actually looks in our environment, that type of stuff. And so yeah. whenever we can tell that story through our job ads and we can tell it through our first assessments of people, phone screens, in-person interviews, whatever it may be, by the time that we're ready to make a decision, we really have a good understanding of if this person understands what we mean by challenge it, but also we have a good understanding of if they truly have that bone in their body. Right. Uh, and that's that's super helpful. Yeah, you can't teach, you know, humility, right? You, you just you either have it or you don't. You can teach it, but it's a, it's harder. It's harder. It's harder. Right. And some small businesses simply don't have the patience or, or the, the skills time, you know. to, to develop people in right. that way. Right. There was a post on LinkedIn that uh, Shelby, who in our office, who's, who's um, does a lot of LinkedIn stuff, that I saw her commenting on, and I went and read it, and it was something along the lines of, uh, you know, if you're starting out a career in sales, you need to go to a big, 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 big employer because they have the infrastructure in place to actually train you up and teach you some some things. And the post was getting a lot of, you know, back and forth as most social media posts do that go uh, crazy big. And it was interesting to read some of those comments because there is there it's a very real thing in the small business space where the work overcomes the need for actually consistent processes. I got too much to do to worry about training and development uh, of my people. And again, this you know hiring framework of having values, screening for values, and only hiring people that have those values eliminates, not eliminates, reduces some of the training and development that's needed for your employees, uh, which ultimately is going to give time back because you're going to hire smarter people. Right. And so, um, Greg, I really appreciate your time up here. It's been fun to talk about this. I know that you played a big role in kind of restructuring and revamping some of this stuff for us internally as well as, as how we handle this with our clients. So I appreciate it. And if you're out there listening and you have some hiring questions, questions, uh, or if you're just un, uh, uncertain on whether or not you're doing the, the best thing or the right thing or whatever it may be, feel free to reach out to us at onestepbetteratworks.com and uh, let us know. We'd be glad to help. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the One Step Better podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you would take some time to rate us five stars on your podcast player of choice. And make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss out on another episode. Thanks and have a great day.